All right, so if you haven't been with us before, I'm going to read this text for us, and uh, afterwards I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you wouldn't mind responding with thanks be to God, we're going to do one verse real easy, so it's in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. I got a, a Mike here who's a member, he's associated with the church in Africa, said he was looking at some pictures the other day, and how every Sunday they gather out in the sun, like they don't care, right? So, I mean, let's be honest, I get it, when we looked at the calendar, if you were like me, when we planned Easter, I was like, please don't let it be hot, please don't let it be so hot, and of course, it's 97 today. Uh, but, let's be straight, it's 82 right now, is it echoing, Johnny, can you turn that down, please? Uh, it's 82 right now, so that's not that bad, honestly, so... Um, it is what it is. All right, so here's uh, what I want to do. I want to jump into our text, and I know I got to do a little like explaining uh, to be able to get there. We're going to do some baptisms. We're going to take communion together. I'm super excited. Some people are excited about baptisms. Um, so, so yeah, and I do want to say thank you to everybody who helped set up. People were here at 5 a.m. this morning. This stuff didn't just appear this way, setting up sound and chairs, and there's a big group of people, so we're grateful for that. As always, Angela and Nate kill it with coffee, so thank you for that. Um, so here's, here's our context. Okay. The book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. It's part two of the book of Luke. Okay. So you have the story of Jesus and then you have the story of his followers. Acts could literally be called Acts of the Apostles. It's what took place with the early church. Now the book of Acts could be broken up into two sections. Okay. The first section is chapters one through nine, and it mainly follows a man named Peter The second section follows mainly a guy named Paul. Now, there's some offshoot stories, of course, in all of that. We're coming in in that first section with this guy named Peter. What took place is uh, Peter and John, the apostles, they go into the temple and they heal someone. Now, the Jews are standing back and they're amazed at this. They're totally amazed at this. And Peter goes in on the sermon saying, you don't need to be amazed at what took place, okay? Here's the reality. We're doing this by the power of Christ. Now, the power of Christ that we have, if you don't know this, it was your peoples, the Jews that killed Christ. And we're going to talk about all of that in a second. And that's kind of where we pick it up. This is what it says in verse 14, right before uh, verse 15. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of Barabbas. What took place was uh, Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate, the ruler at the time says, here's the option. I'll give you one release today. Okay. Here's Barabbas who's a murderer or here's Jesus. I don't know what he did wrong but you can release one of them. The Jews shout, we want Barabbas, who's a murderer. He's released, and then Jesus goes off to execution. So that's the context that Peter's sharing this, okay? Now, he gives us a commentary on that account, all right? Now, if you haven't been with us before, this is real simple, okay? We're gonna read verse 15, and we're gonna go through it real slow. It's broken up into three sections. If you have your Bible, you can go there. Honestly, if you wanna download, go to an app store, uh, go to the App Store and download um, version or the ESV uh, Bible. You can do any of those. But this is the three sections in verse 15. We're going to cover, you killed the author of life. That's the first thing that Peter says there. But God raised him from the dead. That's the second thing. To this, we are witnesses. Okay, so it's a big Bible study together. That's our Easter text. Let's break it down together. So Peter now makes this declaration. Looking at them, he says, you killed the author of life. Speaking to the Jews, which we'll come back to in a second and unpack. But the next one I want you to hear is killed, okay? You killed the author of life. Um, Now, I I, I get it that 
we live in America, and so for the most part, almost everybody knows the story of Jesus, but I'm not quite sure we know the details because this isn't just, hey, you shot Jesus, or hey, you quickly got rid of him and euthanized him. That's not what took place. If you um, aren't aware, the church has celebrated on Friday exactly what killed means in that context. So let me give you a quick rundown of what took place. In the middle of the night, Jesus is praying with his disciples. He goes off and he prays by himself for a minute. He gathers with them again. There's this man, Judas, who's one of his disciples, one of his friends. They, he comes up and he betrays Jesus, hands, them, oh, hands him over to the Roman guards. Now, this is important. He was surrounded by his disciples who at that moment flee him, okay? So they flee. He's by himself. So essentially, there's this exchange of Roman guards for the disciples. Now he's taken this shady, shady trial goes on in the middle of the night, and that's where we pick it up. So these times, I don't know if exactly are right, but here's how I would pinpoint this timeline. By 6 a.m., Jesus is standing trial before Pilate. The Jews end up handing him over because Pilate is the, the ruler. You can see this in Matthew 27, okay? Pilate doesn't know what's going on, so he sends him to another district leader, a guy named Herod. Herod can't find anything wrong, sends him back to Pilate. By 7 a.m., he's standing before Pilate again. At that point, he is sentenced to death. Remember, he's sentenced to death because Barabbas was set free. He's sentenced to death. Before he goes to his execution, he's received, uh, he receives a crown of thorns on his head. He's mocked. He's bleeding. He's tied to a post, and he's flogged. He's whipped. By uh, 8 a.m., Jesus is led away to Calvary. He carries his cross all the way up the hill, at which point uh, the, the, the cross that he carries is laid down and he is pinned to it with nails in his wrists and nails in his ankles. He is held up by the cross. It's important to understand to even hold or get your breath without uh, dying of uh, asphyxiation. You have to continue to press on those nails to stay alive. By, 10, or, uh, uh, by 9 a.m., those soldiers who are mocking him begin to cast lots for his clothes, okay? So this isn't just a quick killing. This is also a humiliation. He's not just naked on the cross wearing some kind of diaper. He is naked. He is completely naked. By 10 a.m., Jesus is insulted and mocked. He hears a lot of, you saved yourself, go save, or you saved others, go and save yourself. By the sixth hour, by 12 p.m., darkness covers the land. By 1 p.m., Jesus cries out to the Father, and I quote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This isn't just they killed him. This is him feeling separation from his father, a separation that you and I should feel. Finally, by 2, a, uh, 2 p.m., we hear the words, it is finished. You can see this in John 19.30, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This isn't a quick killing. This is a long period of time. This is why he goes to a garden and says, God, please let this cup pass for me, but he submits to what God wants to do. This is what Paul, or, uh, Peter means when he says, you killed him. Now, believers, look at me. The adjectival statements in scripture are so poetic. Do not skip over adjectival statements. They, Peter could have easily said, and you killed the Messiah. You killed Jesus. But look what he says. You killed the author of life. I mean, just, man, sometimes we're in such a rush. Just give me knowledge. Give me knowledge. Like, listen to the contrast of that. You killed the author of life. I mean, the, in, the universe should implode in on itself by the very nature that the one who created life, you can only have death if you have life. You killed the one who created life and in creating life had the opportunity to kill the one who created life. You can't, have, you can't kill something that's already dead or doesn't exist. But by creating something, it has the opportunity to, to die. 
And so you kill the author of life, but it's not just some Genesis accounts of the author of life. As a matter of fact, in the Greek lexicon, here's the definition specifically, because this, this word author is used in two different spots. In some of your translations, if you don't have an ESV, they might read prince or commander of life. That's because in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says the author of their salvation, or in Hebrews 12, 2, it says the author and perfecter of faith. That's the same uh, uh, word used there. Here's the Greek lexicon definition uh, that's, that translators in every translation are trying to um, articulate and unpack when they see this Greek word. It, uh, in its definition, it's a person who is um, the originator or founder of a movement and continues to be a leader. It's like a, a pioneer in that way. So this is the idea of you killing the author of life as someone who, who not just offered you physical life, but offered you salvation and you killed him. But before we go to the second section, I think it's important to note that there is the word you. So we, we got killed, we got the author of life, but who's the you? Now, He's talking to the Jews, but this is tricky because here's the reality. The Jews didn't kill Jesus, technically. I mean, what you have in this moment is Pilate gives a command because of the Jews. Yes, they, 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 they start this. And technically, Pilate doesn't even kill Jesus. The, the Roman soldiers, they kill Jesus. But here is Peter declaring to them, you killed Jesus. Now, this is, this is weird. What, and, and so the church for the last 2,000 years has struggled to articulate exactly how we want to um, explain what happened on this day. Now, if you scour scripture, two things become abundantly clear in this great exchange from the Jews to Pilate to Herod to Pilate, the Jews shouting back to the Roman soldiers to death. There's two things that become clear amidst all of that that's not even seen here. The first is when we ask, well, who's the you? Well, who can be included in this you is his father. God killed Jesus. Maybe you don't believe me. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up. In Acts 2, 23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In Isaiah 53, which, sends it, which says it pretty clearly, if you're, you're stirring in your heart right now, we, esteem, we esteemed him stricken, smitten or struck down by God, it was, and I quote, the will of the Lord to crush him. This is his father and put him to grief. We can see in Romans 3.25, God put him forward as a propitiation. God did this. So God involved in all of this was a Pilate. He's talking to the Jews, the, the Roman guards and all of this. Here's what we do know. God is doing this. He is in, in his sovereign will doing something. Number two, the second thing that is abundantly cleared, who is the you in this? It's because and for you and I. Now, we're not mentioned in the text, but it becomes abundantly clear as you study scripture. Listen to Romans 5, 8 that says this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for us. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins. He bore, how did he bear our sins? On the cross, he bore our sins uh, in, the, uh, 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 in his body on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, listen, this is so clear. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand? We, we are participating in this. Now, if you're wondering why, why all of this? Because the reality is, this is what Hebrews 9.22 says. It's under the law. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this is pretty simple, if I'm being honest. 
The reality is God is a just God. Every single person in this uh, outdoor venue agrees at that on some subconscious level. Here's how I know. Someone rolls into your crib, murders your family. They go stand before the judge and they go, I didn't want to do it. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. And the judge goes, all good, bro. All good. And releases them. Everything within us in that moment. When I don't try to be existential in that, but let the rubber hit the road. You would be so, so angry by that. The reality is because you're wired in the image of God, because justice needs to be served. And so you think maybe you're standing off from that, but hear me, I killed Jesus. My, like every time I'm envious and I'm angry and I'm greedy and I'm lustful and I'm prideful. Every time I look at God and I see this is how you want to do it, but I want to do it my way. These are, these are uh, antagonizing things that push up against God's will, against his glory. And in that moment, justice has to be served. And maybe you don't agree by the extent of that justice or where it goes. The reality is you don't get to decide that. Justice has to be served. And so the you is very specifically in the context referring to the Jews. But let me remind you, though the Jews shouted, crucify him, though Pilate gave the orders, and though the Roman guards set out with the execution, it was because of us that he went. So when we hear you killed the author of life, that's the text and the point that I want you to hear there. But here it is. But God raised him from the dead. And this is why you're here, right? That's why we're going to sit in 85 degree temperature. This is why two point, I think, three billion people will gather in churches and schools and outdoor venues all around the world today is because we believe this is fact. As a matter of fact, some of you um, in your translations at the end of it say where it says, but God raised him from the dead to this. Uh, we are witnesses to this fact. We, we gather because of this idea. This is the statement, right? In, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul ties the gospel, he ties the resurrection as part of the gospel. So if the resurrection is true, if God did really raise him from the dead, then the gospel is true. Now this is important, okay? Because as believers, we're, we're all in. Maybe we haven't studied to the resurrection and know how we can defend it, but we believe this is true. That's what we're claiming when we're gathered here. This is a yes and amen, and we'll come back to that. But maybe you're here and you're not a believer. Maybe you're here and you, you say the resurrection isn't true. And here's what I want to affirm very clearly. If you can, with all integrity, prove that the resurrection is not true, you are right to not be a believer. You are right to not follow Jesus. You're correct in that stance. I mean, the reality is, if Jesus did all of this and was just crucified because we love Friday so much that he forgave our sins not understanding that if Sunday never comes and he was never raised from the dead, then he's just like every other criminal that was crucified. But the resurrection being true, you can wrestle with the story of Jonah in a whale and Jesus heals people. That's all crazy. Forget it. It's the resurrection. Somebody was dead for three days. That's what you need to wrestle with. I, I, I love uh, what Clarence uh, W. Hall says. He says, Easter says that you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. The reality is the Christian claim is insane. To tell somebody who has no knowledge of the Bible and doesn't believe in anything religious or spiritual that someone was raised from the dead, that's crazy, you guys. I'm telling you as believers, that sounds foolish. It sounds utterly foolish. But if it is true, if it is true, then such a crazy claim does demand a crazy change in the way that you view your worldview. It does. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, Christianity of false is of no importance. If it's true, 
It's of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. If you claim that Jesus was raised from the dead, hear me. There's no just, yeah, I believe in Christ. There's no American Christianity, no nominal Christianity. It's something that is not, and I quote, moderately important. If the resurrection is true, if Jesus was really raised from the dead by his father, as this text says, then it matters. Now, I want to extend on this, but to do so, I want to go to the next part of our verse, which is the third section, the last part of our verse. And it says this, to this, we are witnesses. Now, if you remember when we first started, I said that the the book of Acts um, is the first part after Jesus is raised from the dead, the first part, the story of the early church. It's the acts of the apostles. It's it's what... um, what, what God is doing through his people. And it's crazy, crazy stories. But what you may not be aware of is the one thing that the early church continued to claim and echoes throughout history again and again and again is the statement that we just read before, but God raised him from the dead. As a matter of fact, that statement, God raised him from the dead, appears more in the book of Acts than anywhere else in the text. Anywhere else in all of the New Testament. Now, the reason is because believers are continuing to make this declaration. They are witnesses to this. They were drowned because it's true. They were whipped because it's true. They were shot because it's true. They were beheaded because it's true. They themselves were crucified because it's true. The root word there for witnesses is martyrios. Can you hear that word? It's where we get our word martyr from. They're martyrs for this. They believe with their very lives that God raised him from the dead. And this is, if I spoke to those of you who don't follow Jesus Christ, give me grace as I speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in the same way that we partake or partook in crucifying Jesus to the cross, recognizing that we gave him our sins and he gave us his righteousness, in the same way that takes place, I think that the echoing of to this, we are witnesses, we could be the we as well. Now, we're not firsthand accounts as Peter is making the declaration here, but there's no question as the story continues to go on, the declaration and the mantra, the banner, it's all the same, y'all. It's all the same. Here's what we believe. We believe Jesus died and God raised him from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Brothers and sisters, I with you declare God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I know that it's hard to get excited because we go through the same rhythm every single year. So let me try to do my best to remind you why this matters. Seven reasons, which is a good holy number, right? Seven. I don't know what to do with that. I had nine. First, I had six, and I was like, that's the devil's number. I ain't going to use that. Here are seven reasons why you and I should be proud that we are witnesses to the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. Like, like you believe this is true, but do you believe it's good? Listen to this. The first reason is Jesus' resurrection embodies the new creation, and, and I would say it launches the new age. The, what, what I mean by that is um, because of sin's curse and it has a hold on all things, Jesus raising from the dead starts a new thing. This is where he's a pioneer, the author of life. Number two, Jesus' resurrection identifies him as the end-time judge. Paul, this other guy named Paul, is standing on this, uh, uh, this hill called Mars Hill. And he's talking with all these people who don't believe in Jesus. And it's crazy because he says, I know that you're going to be judged someday. I'm going to be judged someday. Well, how do you know that, Paul? And he says, because, and here's his language, God raised the judge. 
We can know that one day every government official that has failed us, every leader over us, every judge that has failed us, we don't need them anymore because God will be our judge. Specifically, Christ will be our judge because Jesus was raised. Number three, Jesus' resurrection means that you don't have to be stuck in your sin anymore. Brothers, sisters, you don't have to be stuck in your sin anymore. You don't. You, you don't have to be addicted to porn. You don't. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. You don't have to have the same angry habits. I'm never going to change. The same problems of addiction. You don't. As a believer, because Jesus was raised from the dead, that power was broken. That's not good news. Listen to number four. Jesus' resurrection accomplishes our justification. So on the cross, this is wild. If Jesus just dies for our sins, this is, um, it's not enough, okay? Meaning, Great, you're sinless, your your slate is clean, okay? But Jesus has to be righteous for this great exchange because the reality is right now, 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 an hour from now, a day from now, a week from now, you're gonna sin. And so even though he cleaned your slate, you're gonna sin again. But as you stand before God, this second, what's called imputation takes place. You give him your sins and he does not deserving it, why Barabbas gets off, you get his righteousness. So if you died right now, you know your own heart. You know your own heart. And if you're being honest, you know the thoughts you have. You know the directions your mind goes. You know what you're doing you shouldn't. If you are following Jesus and believe in the resurrection, it's crazy. You die right now, you will stand before God complete and perfect. Your slate is done because he gave you his righteousness. You will be seen as Jesus is seen. Number five, Jesus' resurrection enables him to give us his spirit. Jesus goes off in John 14 through 16, and he keeps going like, I got to go, I got to go, but when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. What? Yeah, I got to go, but the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he keeps saying this in these chapters again and again and again. And what we find is as he goes to the grave, he's raised from dead, it affirms what he's going to say. And so when he ascends into heaven because of his resurrection, we have the spirit now to remind us of our justification. We have the spirit now to continue to grow us in our faith, believers. Number six, Jesus' resurrection ensures us that we too one day will have resurrected bodies. Now, if you're not a believer, this is definitely the craziest statement I can make this morning. Because the reality is, here's what we believe. Like, I woke up this morning, I'm hungry, I'm tired. Maybe you woke up and your shoulder kind of hurts. Maybe you know somebody who's eternally, uh, um, uh, terminally ill. Uh, maybe you know somebody who has like a, uh, something wrong with their body that just won't fix. Our bodies are broken, broken and they are failing us. And we believe because Jesus defeated death, he had a body, he defeated death, and received a resurrected body, one day we will also. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You will be given a new body, a body that doesn't break down. Like, I'm going to be able to dunk one day. It's going to be so legit. I'm not joking. That's going to happen, okay? Okay. And finally, number seven, Jesus' resurrection, and this might be my favorite, um, but Jesus' resurrection guarantees that God will one day transform all of creation. Now, let me explain what I mean by all of creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
It's like this beginning power that, that uh, uh, Paul talks about. And, and we find he talks about the same idea in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 talks about creation is groaning until the sons of salvation come to fulfillment. Now, when a creation, you got to understand right now there's a brokenness about everything we experience. A brokenness between um, the way you view yourself. There's a brokenness between the way we view each other, like we misunderstand each other. There's a brokenness for us understanding God. Like we feel like, is he talking to me? Am I crazy? There's a brokenness the way we treat environment and creation, right? There's just a brokenness, a brokenness, a brokenness. And what we're promised because of the resurrection of Christ, one day, one day, God will make all things new. And this is, as believers, hear me. This is such good news because as the story crescendos into Revelation 21, we are told on that day as heaven and earth collide, we are told that you no longer have to worry about all the fears and anxieties, all things going He's going to restore all things. And, and maybe you don't believe this, but let me give you a list in case you forgot. That on that day, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, hear me, one day there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more gloom, depression, anxiety, child abuse, spousal abuse, poverty, lostness, loneliness, adultery, hatred, racism, sexism, ageism, chaos, destruction, sexual abuse, murder, envy, lying, cheating, slavery, sickness, disease, viruses, including COVID. There's going to be no more separation, no more war, terrorism, ghettos, slums, abortion, prisoners. There are going to be no more those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, no more pollution, drug abuse, rape, obesity. There's going to be no more hate, no more dictators, no more crashing economies, no more income disparity. And although I love them, I love them, I love them, we will no longer need firefighters, police officers, nurses, doctors, pastors, counselors, shrinks, surgeons, politicians, lawyers. We won't even need the sun because we serve a God, according to James 1, who is light without shadow. We will no longer need these things because he will be our judge. He will be our father. He will be our sustainer, our protector, our guide, our truth, our way, our vine, and our eternal friend, all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To this, I am a witness. He is risen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We're here to acknowledge that it is not by our own merits that we um, in any way change our circumstances or we're seen as good. But because um, you went to the cross and now we stand as a people who are blessed above all others claiming that you are truly risen. Your body can't be found and you sit now at the right hand of the Father. This is good news for us that you one day will be our judge. You now guide us. You send your spirit. This is good news for us. I pray for us as believers, we would be witnesses to the fact that you, Father, raised your son, Jesus. Thank you. We celebrate this now in communion. We celebrate this now in baptisms. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.